welcome to the Development Policy Centre podcast. In this podcast, you will be listening to the Treasurer and Deputy Prime Minister of Papua New Guinea, Charles Abel, in his keynote address at the 2018 PNG Update at the University of Papua New Guinea. In it, he discusses the Australia-PNG relationship and opportunities for further connection through education, along with PNG's political history and economic plans. Thank you. Thank you indeed to our Master of Ceremony and uh, good day. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see a full lecture theatre. And uh, it's nice to see such a fantastic uh, facility here at the University of Papua New Guinea, amongst other infrastructures that have been provided uh, with the help of our fantastic partner being the Australian Government. And so I would like us to put another uh, round of applause together for the Australian Government. Thank you so much. It's a magnificent uh, facility that it's great to see it full today. But let's also give a hand to the Papua New Guinea government, because we've also participated in providing this infrastructure. <laughs> Thank you. I noticed that the applause wasn't quite so loud. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, good morning. And thank you all so much for this uh, opportunity to present this inaugural address at the 2018 uh, PNG Update. And uh, I want to thank the University of Papua New Guinea, the Australian National University, for continuing to host this initiative, and the Australian Government uh, and its people uh, for the sponsorship to Australian aid. I think it's a wonderful sign of Papua New Guinea's uh, continuing growth and maturity as a nation and economy that we can come together, debate and hopefully better understand the challenges facing uh, our country today. So I'd like to congratulate the organising committee from the Australian National University and the University of Papua New Guinea, notably Professor Stephen Howes of the Development Policy Centre at the Australian National University, and also Professor Lakshmi, uh, Professor Lakshmi Pillai, the Executive Dean of the School of Business and Public Policy here at the University of Papua New Guinea. Thank you. Uh, Mr Vincent Maliabe, the uh, Acting Vice-Chancellor for the University of Papua New Guinea, and also the <laughs> council members and staff, um, other dignitaries that are here today, uh, in particular our political leaders uh, that are here, and of course uh, our ECP Governor, Honourable Alan Bird. Thank you. Alan and I have been to the University of Papua New Guinea many times in different uh, forums, and of course he's represented as MC on many occasions, and well familiar with... Uh, sort of a process, so acknowledge you, Alan. Member for Medang, Honourable Brian Kramer, also acknowledge you, and of course... <laughs> Honourable Ian Ling Stuckey, my very good adversary uh, in the opposition, and Shadow Minister of the <laughs> Treasury. We'll be presenting some uh, views today as well, which is, uh, which is actually great to see. I notice a former Member of Parliament as well sitting up in the stand somewhere, uh, Mark Maipakai, former Member for Kikori. There he is, putting his hand up. From the wonderful uh, province of, uh, of Gulf. But we also have uh, Sir Charles uh, Lepani, who's the Chairman of APEC uh, Coordinating Authority. All the way from Trobriand Islands in, uh, in uh, beautiful Millen Bay. I also noted that Dame Meg Taylor was... Uh, has been put down to speak as well, um, and I don't know whether she's here this morning or whether she's actually going to attend, but we acknowledge her anyway, our Secretary General for the Pacific Island Forum. I've already mentioned uh, Professor Stephen Howes. Uh, we're always grateful to him in this engagement. He's been fantastic and wonderful uh, in, in more ways than one. But to uh, all our visitors, uh, especially our overseas visitors who have come 
uh, here to Papua New Guinea and UPNG and the other participants, speakers, and of course uh, our students as well and all our friends that are, that are here today. As I said, I'm very honoured to be invited um, once again back to U University of Papua New Guinea and again, as I've said, I've spoken here on different occasions and I think including at a previous uh, Papua New Guinea update series, if I'm not mistaken, but certainly at other uh, events and I'm always pleased to come. I'm looking forward to a robust debate on all of the key issues raised by our organisers and we have a variety of very interesting sessions coming up ranging from land, the macroeconomy, health, agriculture and many others and ending in a session on the digital economy. Of course the backdrop to all this is the main theme of the forum and that is Papua New Guinea in the year of APEC. The fortunes of this institution with its decorated legacy mirror the fortunes of our nation. The history and progress of this country will always deeply involve the University of Papua New Guinea. Challenges will come and go, but please continue to be vigilant in your commitment to this great institution and its standards, whether you're a council member, student, or member of the teaching staff or administration. My daughter Courtney is a part of the current cohort, sitting here in the second row as well. So I am your Deputy Prime Minister and Treasurer, but I'm also a concerned parent. Papua New Guinea cannot commit, compete on the world stage without quality institutions imparting quality education to our children. We still have so much work to do at the University of Papua New Guinea and within our education system in general to achieve the required international standards. I've had an opportunity recently to travel to the United States, Asia and Israel. And one thing which continues to strike me as I compare countries is that we have one of the best education systems in the world on our doorstep in Australia. I really believe we need to integrate our education system more with the Australian system, bring more lecturers over here and teachers into our schools and vice versa. I also believe we should have more Papua New Guinea grade 10s accessing boarding schools and universities in Australia like in previous years. I've written to the Australian High Commissioner Bruce Davies on this and I will take it up with my counterpart Treasurer Scott Morrison and the Foreign, Foreign Affairs Minister Julie Bishop when we meet uh, next week. The people-to-people -people engagement between our countries that we always talk about needs more realisation. I'd really like to see Australia give us visa on arrival status. There should be more Australians in Papua New Guinea and more Papua New Guineans in Australia. We need to accelerate the education of our young people, the quality of English spoken and written expression, the adoption of the latest technology and systems by greater interaction with the Australian people and the education system in Australia. And I'm sure our former High Commissioner to Australia, uh, Honourable Charles Lepani can say something about this perhaps, and he may or may not uh, agree with me. Another significant and related element in terms of the global integration and access to knowledge and accelerating education is a modern ICT infrastructure network. And I recently gave a speech to open the ICT uh, forum, and I emphasised the critical importance of the new 20 terabyte cable from Sydney and the domestic submarine cable and terrestrial fibre optic network. Access to cheap, speedy internet means access to knowledge and education. It's a no-brainer. It is part of the 25-point plan, and the procurement of the international cable is underway, again with the help of our <coughs> Australian friends. Events such as the 2018 APEC meeting are also about global integration, participation, and knowledge sharing. We need modern capital and technology to develop. It is a bold undertaking by our small country to introduce ourselves to the world and we are committed, obviously, and we need to take full advantage of it. The obvious point I'm making here at the University of Papua New Guinea today is the importance of education and an educated population. 
It is the key because we have all the other elements necessary in the development equation. The standard of our human capital is hindering the speed of the transformation to a modern economy and delivering the minimum socio-economic standards. The Asia-Pacific region is becoming increasingly significant in terms of the global economy and trade. There is an obvious dynamic going on with the rise and rise of China in particular. And I notice the, cons the uh, Chinese consular is, uh, is here at the moment, Liu Lingling. And we need to be fully aware of this, that is the rise, uh, the Asia-Pacific and China in particular, in terms of the opportunities and the challenges it represents. The traditional relationships, development assistance, business and trade and otherwise are all shifting. We want trade and investment. We appreciate concessional financing, but we also hold dear democracy and its principles and institutions. We like free press, freedom of speech and human rights. Many of these foundations in our country still remain fragile and we need our traditional partners to remain fully engaged in the region and with us. Events like this forum and APEC or the Asia-Pacific Caribbean Forum, the Pacific Games, the Under-20 Women's World Cup, the Rugby League World Cup Games, encourage people to come to Papua New Guinea and see and judge for themselves the opportunities and challenges of our country. They can see that we are an open democratic country with many opportunities and a lot of potential. Challenging some of the negative stereotypes of our country is not easy and will take time. Post-colonial thinking combined with the advent of rampant social media can certainly make it harder for people to see beyond the rhetoric and look at the direction the country is heading in. Papua New Guinea has experienced a sustained period of political stability since 2002 <coughs> in particular when the National Alliance-led government under Sir Michael Somare completed almost two full terms due in part to the Morata government institute instituted legal changes that limited movements of members of parliament between parties. These provisions were since deemed unconstitutional. The O'Neill-led governments of 2011 to 12, 2012 to 17, and the current coalition have sustained under the relatively original provisions of the constitution, unlike previous governments. Political stability is a prerequisite for development, and this is demonstrated in the experience since independent independence in the constant changes through motions of no confidence, which made it extremely difficult for any sort of constructive governance. I don't think the constitutional architects who wrote the provisions for motions of no confidence really envisioned the manner in which they were ultimately used. The current opening grace period of 18 months used to be six months in the original constitution. Of course, the O'Neill Dion government tried unsuccessfully to amend the grace period to 30 months. Political stability is important, but not at the cost of political entrenchment, of course. The mechanism of motions of no confidence are fine, but the various hurdles, such as the number of members required to activate a motion, must not be so low as to make it potentially frivolous. A weak party system that we still have, in conjunction with an easily activated no confidence process, and short grace periods can lead to election mandates being usurped. So, political stability under our Prime Minister today has enabled us to test our policies in the last six years. We are also able to compare these, for example, with the National Alliance-led government, which was in power for nine continuous years, or any other government. <coughs> it's also noteworthy that the Samaria, Sir Michael Samaria-led governments previously also add to this period of tally in terms of that consistency of leadership uh, under Samaria. Sir Cecil Abel, by the way, was one of the founders uh, of the Bully Beef Club here at the university and a great friend of, uh, of Sir Michael. 
The National Alliance government, particularly in its second term, enjoyed huge revenue flows from a commodity boom and built up large account balances that unfortunately, and despite some good intentions, were rapidly spent without much to show for it. When I came in as Planning Minister in 2012, the Sweep Task Force was investigating much of the abuse that had happened at the Department of Planning, and we had to review the method of pooling and distributing funds from programs such as the National Agriculture Development Program, RESI, and so on. Despite the wastage, the National Alliance Government got debt down and delivered the Papua New Guinea LNG project. The current low price environment, though, is revealing some of the flaws in that project agreement. And, of course, we did not provide for domestic market obligations or local content obligations. Nevertheless, it was a massive achievement and we will bear the fruits one day. When the O'Neill Nama and then the O'Neill Dion government took power, we began a deliberate program to create a larger resource envelope and invest heavily into infrastructure, education, health and law and order. And this commenced with the TFF policy in 2011. The government pursued a policy of deliberate deficit budgets to continue the fiscal stimulus after the PNG LNG construction phase and to bridge the gap until production began. There was much excitement and anticipation leading into first gas, first gas because it was touted that our revenues would double. Well, it's an old story now that the prices, uh, oil prices collapsed immediately after production commenced. We then faced the El Nino uh, drought and then subsequently the devastating earthquake and of course been through what is always difficult in our country and that is a uh, national election. The good news is that there has been significant and visible improvements in our productive capacity through infrastructure in terms of roads, the major sea and airports, hospitals and schools. This stimulates the economy and makes services more accessible. Our economy is slowly becoming more diversified and revenue reliance on the mineral and petroleum sector has greatly reduced. As I've mentioned many times in my speeches uh, in Parliament, we've come from a situation where mineral and petroleum taxes constituted around 20% of our revenue. And today, which is something we're looking further into, it's declined almost to nothing, and yet we continue to, uh, to have uh, our revenue growth, sustain ourselves, pay our bills and so on. But the important point is that the economy is diversifying and there is less and less reliance on that sector. But I still ask the question, where is the revenue from that sector? Because we know there's massive uh, activity going on there. And hence, the review of the fiscal terms that is underway at the moment, at my direction, through Treasury. So we have, a, we have a better fiscal template and a basis to negotiate these agreements, <coughs> so it's less co costly for our participation, and our revenue streams are more consistent and reliable, even when you have fluctuations in commodity prices. And I allude to that in that the bad news is that against the growth in GDP, particularly related to the PNG LNG project, against which we spent many hundreds of millions of kina for the equity investment and landowner commitments, we have not had the corresponding revenue growth, whilst the interest burden and cost in general and of the public service has grown. So with these experiences behind us, the annual ABLE government through the 100-day 25-point plan, commencing with the 2017 supplementary budget and now the 2018 budget, is responding with measures to increase revenue to 14.6% of GDP and beyond, restricting costs to 16% of GDP, maintaining a debt-to-GDP uh, ratio below 35%, and bringing budgets back to balance over time. Bringing on the Papua New Guinea LNG expansion project, 
Papua LNG and the Wafi Gold Pool project under an improved fiscal template. Progressing the internal generation of cheaper, cleaner and more reliable power and reducing the reliance on imported diesel, something I've also spoken a lot about. Progressing the local production of rice, stock feed, dairy, vegetables, eggs and meat, particularly to reduce imports and foreign exchange demand, obviously generate onshore jobs and so on. Addressing the foreign exchange shortage through central bank intervention, new project acceleration and debt restructuring to bring in the balance, to bring in the balance as well of the Credit Suisse loan as happened last week, the World Bank budget support and the ADB health loan and budget support, which by the way I signed off on yesterday after the ADB board approved that 195 million US uh, concessionary loan, which again is part of the budget that was signed off uh, yesterday, and within that is 100 million US, over 300 million US package over three years uh, of budget support. And the significance of that, which I explained yesterday, is that it's been 30 years or so since we've had budget support into the, into the Papua New Guinea budget system. What has happened is that our support has been going, coming in terms of program and project support because of the lack of trust in the PNG system. As of yesterday, we're reversing that process. We're bringing our partners back to the central system. And it was significant because it's an expression of confidence in some of the things we're doing, that they are now evolving it back institutions like the Asian Development Bank, which are very rigorous, and now reversing that process and coming back to budget support, supporting the central systems of our, our government and the procurement process and so on. And we are close to concluding the negotiations uh, with the World Bank, who, because of the, the earthquake as well, have ramped up their 300 million budget support by front-loading the 150 million US to come in um, this year. That will also be uh, budget support. I will also go out and uh, launch our inaugural sovereign bond. And depending on circumstances, we will uh, also be raising money there. It's about debt restructuring. It's about uh, bringing in some foreign exchange. It's about renegotiating the terms of our development partners, which I've also put to the Australian government. We want to move back to budget support. We want you to help us build the capacity of the Papua New Guinea system. We don't want parallel systems and continuing to point the weaknesses in the system. Help us to address those weaknesses by participating and working through those particular systems. So that was significant yesterday. And that US 100 million will come in uh, next week. And then the 95 million program support that is coming in. We have wonderful partners. Very concessional financing at 2%. Uh, at great grace periods and, and uh, repayment periods, but I emphasize the significance of coming back to budget support after so many years and uh, the confidence it signals. And when I go out and sell the story of Papua New Guinea, the wonderful story when I sell the sovereign bond, uh, it is another opportunity to uh, gauge the confidence in what's happening in Papua New Guinea and the things that we are doing. And I think it's a good story to tell and I look forward to going out and I look forward to APEC because it's also an opportunity of this integration process and sell, selling the wonderful story that is uh, Papua New Guinea. Some of the other things we've been doing, of course, uh, I'm repeating in terms of you've heard these things before, but fixing the Highlands Highway uh, once and for all and organizing the one billion multi-tranche financing facility with the Asian Development Bank over 10 years to address uh, that uh, very, very important uh, piece of infrastructure. The procurement for the US 300 million is underway and hopefully some of those contracts will be let in the next couple of weeks and we can get on with addressing that uh, very important road that serves about around about 4 million people in our country. Of course the completion of the Leigh and uh, Port Moresby seaports 
and the activation of the international operator and the ICTSI. The transaction over our ports, the major uh, ports in the country, are so critical to trade and competitiveness. And the underlying justification and reasoning behind the international operator, apart from the upgrading of the infrastructure, was to increase the efficiency at our ports and get the cost down. And uh, I'm still driving that point through the ICCC to make sure that international operator executes those policy imperatives that we're talking about. There's no point in building expensive infrastructure and bringing in international operators if the outcome at the end of the day is not increased efficiency at our ports. Importing and exporting, the competitiveness of our economy, what we talk about at APEC, these are the critical uh, underlying things that we must ensure happen if Papua New Guinea is going to be a competitive uh, economy. We're talking about supporting our SMEs and of course, as I've said many times in Parliament, meeting our commitments to free education health and the provincial governments and the districts. And I've been asked a question many times for people like uh, Honourable Alan Bird. I'm determined to deliver the 2018 budget. And that's why I talk about these elements of it in terms of the financing and so on. I'm determined to make sure functional grants go down. And all the commitments we have made, whether it's councillors or whether it's provincial health authorities, we must meet those commitments. That's the only way we can function, is by empowering and enabling those lower levels of government, those people who are active on the coalface. We want to support good governors and good members to deliver on the expectations of our people. And it's so important we work together to deliver the 2018 budget. And it's not a fake budget, it's a real budget. And I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure it's delivered. Because it affects and touches the lives of our people. And it's not a joke. We also need to continue to give due attention to institutional governance, especially around accountability and procurement, and also corruption. And uh, our Prime Minister will be making some announcements shortly on this protracted process on the activation of uh, ICAC. The sweep of government accounts has not only raised significant revenues that we can use for frontline services, but also reduce our domestic financing costs, as we were previously borrowing uh, this money, which is our own money, back from the banks who were holding these surplus funds. So institutions of government are holding surplus funds in the banking system, which we are reborrowing through treasury bills and paying interest on our own funds. So the exercise is to make sure surplus funds are brought back into the uh, central budgetary process, uh, expended under appropriations, and put to good use. The government, as I've mentioned, is also committed to getting a fairer share of returns on our natural resources, whilst at the same time appreciating the significance of resources such as our forests, tuna stocks, and biodiversity in a global sense, as explained in the National Strategy for Responsible Sustainable Development, or STARS. The Alatau Accord, too, also highlights the high population growth rate as a development priority, and new programs in health with the World Bank and the ADB emphasize access to family planning in conjunction with our other good friends that have been in the space in, the t in terms of the UNDP and our NGO partners. With the impact coming through of our 25-point plan interventions, as captured in the 2017 supplementary and 2018 budgets, and the oil price sustaining above US $70 per barrel, the indicators are looking promising. If it were not for the massive earthquake affecting gas, oil and gold production, at current prices we were certainly looking at outdoing the 2018 budget revenue projections. We will shortly publish a mid-year financial outlook just to see exactly how we are tracking though. And I'm confident that because we have budgeted for oil price at 52 US a barrel, 
and oil price currently average, averaging around $70 a barrel in a sustained manner, that uh, things are still looking positive. <coughs> and so we, ha we have had some tough times, as we all know, and that is exactly why government is responding uh, as we are straight after the elections, once you recognise some of those things coming through. I believe the APEC event will cap off a year of recovery for our country in a spectacular fashion. So let us have some constructive ideas at this forum. Negative and positive views, but always in a constructive and solution-driven spirit. This conference starts by looking at something as fundamental as traditional land and ends by looking at something as modern as a digital economy. And I think this per perfectly encapsulates what Papua New Guinea is about, a country with deep traditional and cultural roots that is able to both embrace the riches of its past with the opportunities of the future. So thank you once again. Our speakers, participants and audience, thank you University of Papua New Guineans. A special thanks to our overseas friends who continue to support these events and support our beloved country, Papua New Guinea. May you too gain satisfaction and fulfilment from your efforts in return. Thank you. You have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. For more information on our work, visit our website at govpolicy.anu.edu.au. To join the conversation on Australian aid, Papua New Guinea, the Pacific and Global Development Policy, visit our blog at devpolicy.org. At the blog, you can also sign up to our newsletter to get all the latest updates, or you can connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening. 